In this episode, I have friend of the show, Phil, back on for a chat about what they're up to these days at DriverMod. This includes some of the reviews they've done, including the highly acclaimed Golf R, the basics of how to get into lemons or chump car in Canada, and a full update on Phil's Ecotech Miata. We end the episode off on the topic of safety and driving aids and how they're beginning to affect the high-performance driving world in the BMW community. It's certainly something that we'll see more and more of as the cars are adorned with the nannies we've come to hate and love. As usual, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. everyone. Tonight I have Phil from drivermod.ca with me again and I love that I'm able to get people back onto the show. That's a good sign. So thank you so much for coming Phil. No problem. Um, I had Phil on the show for episode seven where we talked about his site at drivermod.ca and at the time the impending Ecotech Miata build that we'll talk about a little bit further as well. Um, so um, I guess now that we can talk a bit about your car and kind of the last nine or 10 months. Um, it's been that long since we last chatted, at least on the show. Um, I think what we'll do is we will start with driver mod. So um, you guys have been doing a really good job with your content. I really like it. I find it super interesting, like we were kind of talking about earlier. I think everyone who's out there consuming a lot of this content is really interested in the whole idea of um, if there are myths, like the debunking of myths, um, you know, like the cutting straight to the chase, telling like the honest truth about some of these topics that I think are so often misrepresented. Um, and with that, um, there is uh, one of your articles, one of the first ones that I had read when I was back doing, going back and kind of doing some of my research was Golf R. And so you had a chance to drive Golf R, and I'm very interested because I think what we'll do is if you give us a quick little recap of kind of the article, um, the Cole's notes to the article, I would highly recommend that everyone go read up on drivermod.ca each of these articles. We'll go through about three of them here, and you can get the, you know, the full details of everything. So it's easy, drivermod.ca, but the first one we're going to start with is Golf R. So Phil, tell me a bit about Golf R, your experience slash time in it, um, and is it all that it's cracked up to be? Okay, so it's kind of funny how this whole like car review thing began, because when we started driver mod, like our one aim was to not do car reviews, <laughs> because everyone does them, right? Right, yeah. Yep. Um, and there's so many like logistical constraints, like you have to, you have to deal, with, deal with press cars, and you have to deal with uh, PR people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the whole like insurance liability behind driving somebody else's car at Absolutely. a relatively quick pace. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, spirited, spirited, <laughs> within the limits, but spirited driving. Right? Sure. So the way this kind of happened was that our friend Chris at uh, Burning Tire Reverend Speed offered me the keys to his Evo X. So, you know, keys to uh, like minty low cars Evo X. I couldn't say no, so we you know went to go drive his Evo X. And then after we released the Evo X article. My friend Raphael was like, hey, I've got a Golf R. Why don't you come drive the Golf R and tell me if it's better? Wow. Um, yeah, so that's what we did. We met up, um, just took it for a spin, you know, Calden Hills. 
that type of thing. How are you cruising? Did a bit of a photo shoot that you'll see on the site. And uh, tried to kind of, you know, get the feel for what uh, Volkswagen's cracked up um, for us. Yeah. And now, do you guys do, when you when you do your road testing and stuff like that, do you stick around? Like, do you guys go to, like, Forks of the Credit? Is it top secret? Like, what are you doing for your driving circuit? Because I also feel like that's something that I'm not suggesting anybody go out and break any, you know, land speed records anywhere um, and always drive within the limits, uh, up the speed limits, that that is. Um where about are you guys going for this? Like, cause I, I'm always fascinated to the escape from Toronto of, of where people are heading to do this kind of, you know, review at least. Yeah. Well, here's part of the reason why we don't do car reviews because like, no matter how much like I like to pretend or any other journalist likes to pretend they can get a feel for like the way a car behaves on the road. You, you really can't without risking life and limb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we try our best and like you said, focus the credit um, Hockley Road's a uh, Hockley Road is a good one out to yeah. up in Garden. Um, really, like there's a great like bike map. Like if you Google like Ontario bike roads mm-hmm. online, that shows like all like the really great roads around here. That's it's funny. One of my very early uh, posts on my blog was it was I think it was um, I think it was Ontario Tourism Board or no. Ontario, yeah, I think it was Ontario Tourism or something along those lines, had a really interesting article that was all about uh, bikes and the great roads to take your bikes on. And I immediately looked at it going, I mean, I don't care. Like, I, you know, it's great for people who love bikes. But for me, driving on those roads in a car is just as epic. So, I mean, definitely follow that. Check it out on both my site. And hopefully you guys post up a little, like, cheat sheet on where to go to. <laughs> yeah, I think we're talking about the same image. It's like a really, really old image. It's it like is. a giant JPEG of... Yeah. Southern Ontario. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. Okay. So uh, Golf R. So give me the give me the, the, the download on it. Okay. So here's my problem with... I've, I've said this like 14 times, but like here's the, the thing that makes me crappy at car reviews. Mm-hmm. And I've got like a very like specific focus when I hop into a car like this. Like I want performance. I want it to, to rotate. I want it to hand on a certain way i want to be able to heel toe nicely i want like a nice shifter feel like mm-hmm. those are the things that like matter to me as a buyer right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and <laughs> the golf R, like the thing that kind of like turns me off from it is that it's a gti plus like if, if you if you hop into a gti and you like the refinement and you like the way it feels and you like the way uh it puts some power you're, you're gonna like the golf R, and, and the golf R really is a gti with less understeer and more power but you're not really going to get like that sort of rotational oversteery like you know nonsense that you get from something like the Ford Focus RS or, or the Evo mm-hmm. and, that, and that's partly because I think the they put money money into the interior um, and they give it something like open desk in the front and back agreed yeah the fit and finish in the interior I mean it's a really nice yeah. place to be yeah like the, like the Golf R is really an Audi hatchback Yes, that's yeah. a good way to put like, it. Like right. It's 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 simply uh, second to none when it comes to that segment. And is it uh, is it the same kind of powertrain as the S three? Is that what it is? I, I believe so. Yeah, something along those yeah. lines. It's the S three, but like, and we're, sorry, were you driving the were you driving stick or were you driving the DSG stick? Oh, okay, yeah. Good, good. So it's the S three minus like the S three is only DSG, and yeah. you get a stick. Right. Yeah. 
Right. And I mean, that was one of their major faux pas in the last generation with the Golf, the R32, which for a while you could only get DSG. Right. And they brought stick back because in the first gen, you could have stick as well. Yeah. Anyways, I think enough people, there were enough haters. The internet was aflame <laughs> with people freaking out over it, not having a six speed. Um, would you say the highest point is uh, for that car? Uh, definitely fit and finish. Like if, if you right. want like a hot hatch to take on a road trip, mm-hmm. I even hesitate calling it a hot hatch because it feels more like a luxury car. Mm. The, Interesting. The, the golf R is the car to take. Yeah. Right. And low point? Um, It's not really that. Okay. I, I hate this because I feel like I'm going to like piss off a whole lot of people, but I didn't really find it that exciting. Mm. Like mm. it doesn't rotate under power. Uh, you can't really heal and tow it. Um, The shifter feels kind of sloppy. The clutch has got no feel to it. Right. Um, I mean, it, I've I've heard it described in the past as being a bit numb, right? And um, I think that kind of falls in line a bit with what you're saying too. Okay. Is that, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, no, no, it, it is um, because I think yeah, power's there. All-wheel drive is amazing. Fit yeah. finish is incredible. Ride quality is really good. It's quite expensive. It is it's quite expensive, um, and it is. I think it's refined enough that the more let's call them the more mature hot hatch you know lovers are gonna you know gravitate towards it but you also have to have a pretty high household income or high income generally to be able to afford that car in itself versus getting a gti or going the other route which i think is the right route which is the (laughs) the sti but anyways we'll leave it we'll leave it at that um Okay, so we're going to move into the next article. Uh, I really loved this one. Um, I think it's fascinating for people to get an idea for the racing culture uh, that you could be a part of in Canada fairly easily. And you outlined it with, um, you know, in the U.S., they have Lemons and Chump Car. Um, For us, we really only have access to Chump Car in Canada. We have our own series, which is great as a result of it. Um, and with Chump Car, you wrote this great article that kind of gave us the the entire kind of um, process from going from, uh, sorry, understanding the rules and some of the guidelines. I know that, you know, the, it isn't necessarily um, the Bible when it comes to how much you can put into a car before you get into uh, into a Chump Car. But they, I think one of the guidelines was a $500 car, right? So you start with a $500 car. You then have a series of points based on the vehicle that you choose that you can attribute to uh, modifications to a certain extent. Um, but there are a lo- there's a long list of things that have to happen. Um, and I think one of the important things for everyone to know, too, is that Chump Car is your opportunity to go wheel-to-wheel racing with a bunch of other people who love being on a racetrack with varying degrees of, uh, I guess, driving experience, especially on a track. Um, and, uh, and the way that you wrote it and the way that you kind of walked everybody through all the different steps, I, I thought was a really, really educational piece. So maybe give us a bit of a rundown on, um, for you kind of what chump car is the accessibility of it in Canada. Um, I'd love, I'm not sure how many cars run in one of the races itself. And then you did kind of the basic guidelines for safety consumables, um, lodging and fees to expect once you're getting into this. So give us the really kind of quick rundown of what that all means in your head. Yeah. So the, the like mantra when it comes to racing is that, is that there's no such thing as cheap racing. <laughs> so what Trump car and, and lemons for, you know, the Americans uh, tries to do is create an environment where you, like somebody who's got like a normal job 
um, can afford racing. Mm -hmm. So the premise is that you buy a car um, for $500. And I use that term $500 very, very loosely because you, you buy a car that's worth 500 points. And on the Chump Car site, you can you know type in a year, type in a model, and it'll spit out the number of points that car is worth. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Okay. So and it's a really find... easy way to evaluate it right off the bat. Yeah, because it's it's impossible to say like how much money you actually paid for a car, right? But the problem is that you could go buy something like really expensive, or you can buy something like really cheap, and those still both fit into like one category. Right. So, so it's like a, there's a bit of a handicap. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then obviously the cheaper the car you buy, the, the less points it's worth and the more modifications you can do to that car to okay. make it faster. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, at the top end of that scale, you could buy a car that maxes out your points right off the bat. You still have to do a certain amount of prep in terms of like safety and some of the equipment you have to have. Um, but excuse me, you just wouldn't be able to do as much in terms of modification. Right? Yeah. Like you, you could buy like a, an, like a minty, like beautiful NB Miata, mm -hmm. but you could do nothing to it. Like you would be like bone stop. Right. Yeah. Right. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you could buy is... like a Dodge Neon and then do an engine swap. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So with that, in either case, there are, um, some very fundamental basics. Sorry. This kind of, uh, not contradictory, but uh, redundant. So there are some fundamentals that have to be covered in terms of safety. So what are the quickly kind of like some of the th the items that you go through that are required f for safety in a car to run in, in, in Chump? Yeah, so really it's anything you expect. Um, so full roll cage, mm -hmm. uh, racing seat, harnesses, uh, um, all the windows have to be Lexan or can be Lexan except for the front windshield. Uh, fire extinguisher system with two nozzles mm -hmm. uh, and a five pound bottle i'm trying to think off the top of my head i think that's about it yeah right yeah and um okay so with that sorry windows uh lexan windows um is there option can you run no windows or do they have to be lexan kind of your side and rears <sighs> I would have to look into it to be honest. And I'm like, here I am, yeah. like looking at ways to save money. Like, oh God, what if you just took everything out? I, I would imagine that you probably have to have them in there for like projectile right. you know, safety. Well, I know the guys that, oh, and you have to have window nets. That reminds me. Oh, okay. Um, okay. The, I know the guys at Ecotech Miata, they run on Chump Car and they run it with just a tarp over the top, top of the car uh, with a, you know, full cage, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I think the reason why you wouldn't want to do that is because of rain. Of course. And, and they run like, you know, eight hour race. That's another thing. It's endurance racing. Yeah. So imagine eight hours in like a flood, um, you know, of other cars, right? <laughs> that was pretty fun, yeah. fun though. Um, so, okay. So we've got our car. It's made it through safety. Oh, sorry. Um, do you have Hans device? No, I don't think so. No, just helmet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend a Hans device anyone to anyone who's racing, especially for eight hours in a yeah, car like that. It's, it's kind of funny what you don't need. Like you don't need to have an FIA certified fire extinguisher system. Just any fire extinguisher system with a five pound bottle and two nozzles. Right. Um, three piece racing suit. Like uh, you can buy like a two hundred dollar one from Sparco. Hmm. Um, yeah, just like your regular snow helmet. I mean, I yeah, they just they dumb it down enough to make yeah. it accessible, which I think in. I, in all respect to the to the chump car series that is awesome that they make it that accessible yeah. too is that it just doesn't require as hefty of an investment we'll get to that in a second so then um so consumables so consumables um obviously are consumable so those are the things that you're going to run through over the course of a race over the course of the series um over the course of a um 
over, uh, I guess, how many races are there in total? For It changes each year. Right, okay. Yeah. But it, what, five? Usually about five. It, yeah. It, it kind of depends on how many people sign up, which leads to how much funding they get, which leads to how much they can actually do. Right, okay. Yeah, and how much your car breaks. Okay, so with that consumable, so uh, what are the typical consumables that you'd look at um, in, in terms of Chump Car? Yeah, so it's basically a, a season of track day mm-hmm. um, every weekend. So, a, you know, set brake pads, set brake, uh, you know, bottle brake fluid, uh, four tires, you know, a multiple tanks of gas. Like, I think I quoted like $500 in gas over the weekend. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's about it, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, again, like, like you said, an entire season's worth of, you know, track days yeah, in, yeah. in one race. Yeah. Um, so, uh, lodging. Oh, the one thing we didn't go through, transportation. So, you've got to get some sort, some method of getting your car to the track because Chump Car's very unlikely going to be certified for the road, right? right. Fair to say. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you've got to get a trailer. You could maybe rent a trailer as an option, too. Yeah, like a U-Haul truck, a U-Haul dolly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's you know what maybe five hundred bucks, thousand bucks for a weekend. Not maybe not even a thousand bucks if you want to rent it. I, I I couldn't tell you to be honest with you. I've never done it. You probably buy them for under or around a thousand bucks. I would buy right. just like the two wheel dolly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. So then lodging. That's fairly self explanatory. Yeah. Depending on where the race is, how far you have to go. Like consumables for the racetrack are also consumables for your transport to get to and from yeah, the races yeah. every weekend. Yeah. Um, and then fees. What are the fees like? I believe I quoted fourteen hundred a race. Interesting. Yeah. Right. So I mean, yeah, it's it's not cheap by any means if you're gonna do you know kind of like the weekend warrior um, endurance racing. But that's also in the grand scheme of racing, pretty inexpensive. Yeah, and and that's kind of the reason why we wrote that article because there was a common mis- misconception that it really is a five hundred dollar racing series. But when you look into the cost of a custom roll cage, the cost of a whole set of RS4, uh, Hancock RS4s every weekend, or hell, I know teams that go through a set of tires a day. No kidding. On a two-day weekend, right? Wow. Um, you know, hundreds of dollars of fuel each 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 weekend. Mm-hmm. Things add up very quickly, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, ballparking, what would you be into it for if you only raced, if so if you got everything prepped, ready, uh, and you're on the track for just your first race, what would you kind of be at? I, th- I think what we put together um, was like eight to nine thousand dollars. Yeah. 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 That. Um, and that's like stock Dodge Neon. Like, yeah. You're not going to be, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Taking a trophy. And and you at that point aren't really talking about a lot of modifications to make it go much yeah, faster. Like, we didn't include any modifications. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. Um, and then after that, so you've you know you've made your initial investment in the car in the prep for it. Uh, every kind of subsequent race after that, what do you think you'd be spending? I, th- I believe we came up with around four thousand hmm. dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I mean, for the inexpensive race series, it's still a pretty damn good investment. I mean, you could get into it with, especially from an endurance standpoint. Uh, I would assume you're allowed multiple drivers over the course of you know the race weekend. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Um, yeah. if, if you grab you know four buddies and you begin to divide that up, all of a sudden it becomes a whole lot more you know attainable. And totally. that's what most people would do. Yeah, and and you kind of have to do that because how do you keep a five hundred dollar car running for yeah. eight hours by yourself? Like yeah, you need no, a team, you, right? you need your support team there. Yeah. 
Um, and then of course, you know, any of the extras that you would have to have in order to, uh, to repair the things that are inevitably yeah. going to break over the course of, you know, a weekend racing. Yeah. I, guess, I think we gave ourselves like a, ourselves like a $400 parts budget for like distributors and radiators and well, things like that. Yeah. And that's pretty frugal as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the idea of chunk car and I think that if you could get uh, a bunch of people together that just love the idea of getting out and racing and getting some seat time and also wrenching a bit or doing the cooking or doing the, you know, prep for the races or planning all of the logistics for it. You know, you could kind of define a role for everyone yeah. in terms of project, project management for it. Maybe that's just the man project manager and me thinking about it that way. But I feel like you could really distribute the wealth um, and the workload across everyone and your reward ends up being great seat time and hopefully a competitive car in those yeah. series because they, it's also a pretty, you know, it's a, to a certain extent, it's a pretty serious race series once you get out there. There are people who um, really spend a lot of time and, of course, a lot of money investing into it. So you've got to, you've, you do, not kind of, you have to be aware of what's going on out there as well and understand what the track and the rules and educating yourself in that respect too. It's not just a get out, have fun and kind of like, you know, blow by on the track. People are out there yeah. legitimately trying to put down lap times. And we're, and we're actually going to be at a chunk car race uh, next month. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, we're going to join the, we're going to join the guys at uh junction, I believe it's junction automotive uh, oh, cool. in the pits, like be like part of their, oh, no kidding yeah, for the weekends. That should be really That's cool. That's awesome. What track yeah. are you going to for that? Calabogie. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've never been to Calabogie, but I remember when they were starting to build that track, it was kind of fascinating to me. And then when I talked to my uh, my friend from uh, from Multimatic, uh, that was just after the videos had been released of the GT running at Calabogie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it looks like a great track. Yeah. Um, there's a couple. There's another one, the one out on Vancouver Island that I would love to get out to. And there's awesome accommodations and an amazing track. And it's really one of those 365 day a year tracks that you can get out to and really run. Um, yeah, on Vancouver Island. Um, I want to do that one too. Um, Anyways, okay, so uh, Chump Car, uh, check out the article on Driver Mod. Um, it takes you through all of those sections that we just walked through, but also um, what a cool series to be a part of. I can't wait to hear what the, the weekend is like for you guys while you're there. It's also a cool series to watch because unlike F1, like you can do whatever you want, so <laughs> things get really creative. Right. Yeah. There's a, I'm sure there's a lot of passing. There are probably a few cars into the walls. Um, <laughs> yeah. A decent spectator sport, so... Yeah. Uh, and the fact that like most of these tracks too, you can camp out at, um, probably makes the lodging side of it a little bit more palatable. Yeah. Uh, cool. Okay. So, I mean, I kind of know the answer to this and I'm sure most people do now having, uh, kind of gone through what the costs are. Um, it probably sounds like a lot of money, which it is over the course of, um, as let's call it a season of chump car. But if you were to go a different route, and you were to put all of that money into buying your, you know, favorite or, you know, your ideal project car, building, tuning and running it in, say, like an autocross series, um, you know, how would you like, how do you feel about that in terms of the trade off for the budget? Um, very different style of racing and driving. Um, but at the same point, um, do you feel like it's just for two totally different types of people or do you feel like it's um it's, it's like an evolution like you go from building your own project car running your own project car uh doing autocross driving uh sorry doing autocross weekends maybe some time attack days 
and then evolving into jump car where you're like, maybe I actually do want to get into wheel to wheel racing and that's your, you know, your way in. Um, curious to know from you, cause I know you've got, um, you know, you run a lot of autocross days. Now you're, you're developing some of the tracks. Is that right? Or you're yep. planning some of the tracks yep. for the BMW, Trillium BMW club. Yep. Um, do you see it as uh, kind of an, uh, an if or, uh, sorry, an and or, or do you see it um, as an, the natural evolution for somebody who's doing, you know, like an autocross day or an autocross circuit? I think, I mean, it's a difficult question because I haven't, I haven't come full circle yet, but I think most people hit a point where they either go in the, the direction of time attack yeah. or they go in the direction of wheel to wheel. And that kind of depends on what you'd like to do. Like if you'd like the idea of kind of fighting traffic and, 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 you know, building your car and, you know, competing on a more personal level like that, jump cars for you. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just want to, like, if you're really into driving and the physics of driving and shaving off like every 10th, you know, it's, it's, it's all about time attack for you. Yeah. 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 I think so too. I mean, I, I love the ideas of both. I mean, clearly there are lower consequences in autocross and in time attack than there are in jump car. But the thrill and the adrenaline just must be wild. I'd love to get out there and do that uh, for uh, for a couple of weekends at least. Maybe anybody who's listening out there building a team <laughs> right now, um, let's see if I can uh, can help out or or buy in. Um, okay, so I, I know somebody. That, no, I I could actually help you out with that if you want. That, that would yeah. be that would be well and. Most importantly, I have to get some sort of pass to allow me to go do something like that on a weekend because with two kids, it makes it very <laughs> difficult uh, to be able to do a lot of your time to get out to a racetrack. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I hopefully have many years uh, ahead of me that I can get out there and do that. Um, okay, so um, there was the last of the articles that we'll talk about was one that um, takes us in that other direction, which is much more so of the kind of autocross and time attack, um, you know, driver development kind of idea. When you're prepping your car for something like that, there are far fewer consumables. There's far fewer track, sorry, there are far few items in the kind of track preparation uh, to allow you to get out and do those things. Uh, What are kind of the top three things that you should be taking a look at every time you want to go out and do kind of any autocross event or any uh, time attack event? Um, Tires and brake fluid. Right. Yeah, that's that's really that's really it. Right. I just and it's funny because this will come out after uh, my episode with um, so Chris Richardson's Toge tuning uh, episode is already out. It's one of the first things that he talks about is brake fluid and tires do eventually, you know, go to pads after that, um, you know, the sky's kind of the limit. And it was amazing to hear that from somebody who owns and operates a shop that clearly from a financial perspective, they gain an an advantage when people buy more from them and they become long-term customers and they're building these big, crazy project cars. But he said, you know, to get out there in a car of kind of any condition those are the first things that you need to look at and drive and, and going faster. Isn't always about your car. It's about you being in the seat. Yeah. And, and I think what he realizes is, and I've, I've kind of seen this cycle, like people go and they buy like a ton of parts and they build up their car and they go to the track and they don't set the lap time that they want to set. And then they come back to their, their tuner and then they get, you know, fresh rate and they throw more money at the car. And yeah. they, you know, they keep trying to get the car to go faster, but the car's not the problem. Right. Yeah. And I think from a financial perspective too, it's, it's a good thing to have happy customers. And I found that when people go along that cycle, they just kind of end up getting frustrated and they kind of leave the car, you know, racing thing altogether because yeah, like it just ends up being so expensive. 
Yeah, you can only throw money at the problem for so long. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then, I mean, I you know, obviously it would get to a point where it just becomes dangerous for that person that's in the cockpit. But at the same time, it's dangerous for everybody else on that track or on that surface that's out there. The best, uh, the best way to go fast is driver education, like bar none. Right. Um, cool. Okay. So check out, there's a really great, the, the last of those articles, um, it was all about prepping your car for that kind of condition. And then that, that applies to, I think you'd even talked about in a very stock car, being able to look at, you know, tires and brake fluid right off the bat for something like that. It's going to teach you a lot about the dynamics of driving. So get out, do that drive, experience the car, understand kind of what the thresholds are. Um, and, uh, and I guess learn how a vehicle behaves. So, yeah. And I, I'd say if you're, if you're looking to autocross and not track, you don't need either of them because you're not going to blow brake fluid in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not really going to shred tires in a parking lot. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. That's a really good point. Uh, okay. Project Ecotech Miata or what <laughs> I like to call the Mikotech. I know I've coined that phrase. That is not Phil's phrase. Um, give us a quick rundown on what the car is again. So for anyone that hasn't read up on it, didn't listen to the first episode, give us the Coles notes on what the car is and then where you've kind of gone with it because uh, it's a really interesting project. Yeah, so the uh, the car is a 19, uh, sorry, 99 NV Miata. Um, and when we first got it, uh, TLDR, I was bringing a bunch of oil and still doing the normal person decision and you know taking apart the engine and fixing it. We pulled the original BP engine and ended up putting in a 2.4 liter uh, Chevrolet Ecotech engine. Awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that came out of what vehicle? Mine came out of a Saturn Aurora. Right. Very exotic. Saturn Aurora. <laughs> God, I can't. I don't even. I can't even picture what the Saturn Aurora is in my head. Well, I think the. I think a better example might be the uh, the original Cobalt SS. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, those and those motors were known for being capable of pretty decent horsepower numbers too, even though they weren't in a fantastic car at the time. Yeah, and and that's what makes them so cheap because GM put them into virtually everything, like right. it's a big G- platform. Yeah, like you know, Equinoxes and Pontiac G6s and Saturn Skies, Pontiac Solstices, like the list goes on. Well, they all yeah. use them. So parts availability is great. Yeah, easy. Any junkyard. Yeah, great yeah. car to drive across the U.S. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah. much find anything anywhere. Okay, so you've now stuffed that into your NB Miata. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you've been it's been in installed and you've been driving it for how long? On and off. <laughs> <laughs> about about four months. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you say on and off because um, have you is it been problematic? I mean, all project cars, especially ones that have been swapped, I know are prone to a lot of test and drive and brake and test and drive yeah, and brake. Yeah. Has that been the case? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely been the case. Uh, what is it that uh, you've run into the most? Um, okay, I, I feel like I should put the caveat out that this isn't a problem with the swap kit um, or MT, the guys who make the swap kit. It's really just me being an idiot. <laughs> so first thing that broke was my exhaust fell apart. It was like the first drive home in the car and the whole header um, to the midpipe just came apart. Uh, it just it would just it just <laughs> came apart like it, like it, the, the the like the metal literally uh, the uh, the nuts we we single oh, nutted okay. the whole header yeah so the whole thing just came loose like I pulled out my midpipe like without any tools 
Okay. Yeah, it was wow. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that happened, yeah. Clearly not as a result of the actual swap itself, yeah. other than the fact that you had done some, you know, some work to be able to give it. You said it was basically straight piped. I, no, it's it's actually like factory exhaust, yeah. Well, okay, oh, okay. At, at the time it was factory exhaust. I see, I yeah. see. Okay, okay, so still catted and just, yeah, you know, full yeah, muffler. Yeah, just like, you know, downpipe, you know, crossover, factory exhaust, yeah. Interesting, okay. Yeah. But you've since changed that? Yeah. Right, after after, <laughs> after the After more breakage. Right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what else has been problematic? Um, well, when the header fell apart, the mid-pipe got lodged between the body and the transmission. <laughs> So we lost use of, oh, I lost use of my clutch. Uh, I mean, you don't really need that, do you? <laughs> well, that's why, that's why I thought. <laughs> so I tried driving the car home clutchless, and I did drive the car home clutchless. Uh, good for you, yeah. But when we got the exhaust back, the exhaust back together, um, second gear synchro was like disintegrated. Okay. Because apparently I suck at driving clutchless. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is. Uh, I, I am no good at it either, but yeah. I've heard that it's quite the art. Um, okay, so... Now, is it at a point where you are like properly daily or able to daily drive it? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the, so what's next on the list? Okay, so after that, we put in the transmission in it. Mm-hmm. Um, then the factory radiator. Sorry, we had to do the timing chain. Um, then as a result of putting the factory radiator back after the timing chain, radiator broke, put a new factory radiator in it. That radiator broke. Then we finally put like a nice aluminum radiator into it. Mm-hmm. Um, then the factory exhaust broke because uh, I took my friend, who's a bigger guy, uh, for a ride in the car, and I drifted a U-turn, mm-hmm. and the factory resonator hit the floor. <laughs> uh, so we did like a full custom like stainless steel exhaust out the back. Oh, nice, awesome. Yeah. No, the uh, the problem that it has right now is it's had like a pesky vacuum leak, hmm. and I've I've finally figured out what like where it is, uh, the fuel injector seals are shot. So it's running lean and it's mis- it's misfiring on the highway. It's just not very happy. So I've got like a cell in the way. Interesting. Yeah. And are those just little tiny, like little vacuum lengths that you have to replace? Yeah, they're uh, they're they're little O-rings, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Oh, okay, it's the actual O-rings themselves. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, right. And now do I dare ask... Uh, what you would say your total investment is in that in that project at this point, including all the broken parts and this vacuum leak. I didn't know it was a vacuum leak for a long time, so we replaced like spark plugs and coils and did the timing chain, bond shaft chain. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, o two, you know, but everything but right uh, injectors. Um, probably around six thousand. Okay. Yeah, which Plus- I mean, engine swap. Plus a ton of broken parts, you know, it's not too bad. That is definitely not awful. And what would you like for an NB Miata? You could get one of those for, you know, a nice a nice one for ten grand. I find that, yeah, ten grand like you'd get like a minty like yeah. beautiful one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you could probably find one if you were if it was going to be a donor or sorry if it was going to be the recipient of a of an engine swap. Like you could probably find one what for four or five grand. Yeah, yeah. And do the EcoTech. Yeah swap that's wild i mean that's really and um now what did you bump where, where did you go from power uh on original stock mb uh to ecotech stock mb is usually dyno at around like 105 110 horsepower mm-hmm. um at the wheel yeah um the car hasn't been down tuned yet so we're probably doing like 170 at the wheel 
Um, once we get a new intake on it, I'm hoping to get to that 200 mark. Wow. Yeah. Uh, at the wheels. Yeah. Oh, that is certainly not anything to scoff at, especially in a car that weighs how much? Like a touch under 2,300 pounds. That's awesome. Yeah. Actually, yeah, the swap made it lighter. Oh, yeah. No, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow, really? The Ecotec motor made it lighter? Yeah, because yeah, the, the Ecotec's all aluminum. Oh, yeah. wow. Jesus. I wow. I'm learning a lot about <laughs> Ecotec's. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Okay. So, I mean, I think that, uh, there are very few cars, the way that you've built them and the way that you've prepared this car that could, I guess, sort you out in a better fashion than what you've done with Miata, Ecotech Swap. I mean, in the future, once this thing is kind of fully dialed and ready, running, uh, reliable, you know, in the future, parts are going to be fairly inexpensive on an ongoing basis for it. Um, how many K are on the motor that when you got it? Uh, 117. So yeah, so you yeah. you should be pretty good with that. And um, I I feel like you know that total investment to be able to get into it. Let's say you were able to get like a four thousand uh, dollar Miata with a six K swap and all of the you know yeah, extras I mean, that you bought. It, it, uh, it, but that doesn't it, include suspension and brakes and yeah. wheels and things that you'll obviously want to also include. Um, Transmission, transmission, obviously with it, or are we able to bolt stock Miata? Stock Miata transmission, yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like an adapter on the, is it the bell housing? Am yeah, bell housing adapter, yeah. and then flywheel adapter, yeah. um, and Miata clutch, Miata, everything, uh, ah, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool, nice. I feel the need to point out, though, that like you could do it for like way under five. It's all the broken parts that have kind of brought me to that point. Gotcha, yeah. okay. So, I mean, that, I think, is a really... That's a really good point to make because if there's somebody who's, um, if there's somebody who's ambitious enough that wants to be able to do a swap like this, I think it's also important to know that you did the swap as well, right? Yeah. So, so there's no labor on top of that swap. Well, we, we did get so, help from uh, from MT. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I mean, you should probably throw a few extra dollars in there as well to be able to cover if you were were not capable even in the slightest bit um, of doing the swap yourself you're definitely going to have to have somebody very qualified that wants to get in there and be able to do it, but it's yeah. not a foreign swap by any means. Yeah. Like I, I did all the wiring and then when all the wiring didn't work, they <laughs> kind of stepped in and fixed it. Um, and then they, they did the exhaust work because mm. I can't weld. That's fair. It's a skill that I also do not possess, but yeah. I'd love to. Okay. So um, yeah, getting into a, what I would say is a fairly, not fairly is a very capable track car once you've learned how to drive your miata i think it's a great evolution for that to, to go into and one that i think is pretty sustainable over a long term is that yeah, fair to like say what you end up with is a you know a 200 wheel horsepower lighter than stock like miata right like it's it's basically what turbo guys have been trying to achieve um but you know theoretically with more reliability yeah theoretically yeah. of course yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's also something to be said about um, a naturally aspirated vehicle versus um, a forced induction. I mean, with the, uh, I guess, the caveat not including superchargers. Right. So turbo car versus naturally aspirated car. I really like, I, I do like the feel of naturally aspirated and um, kind of the power curve on that too. And I don't know if the Ecotech gives you that as well. So yeah, it's like fairly get, consistent. and Like you make like really good torque from 2000 RPM straight to redline. Like it's not like a Honda where you get like nothing and then like, yeah. you know. It, and what's redline? Uh, 7,000. So stock red line. God, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So go out and get yourself 
Nembi Miata. Do your Ecotech swap in a weekend. It's, you'll, it'll be completely problem free, and you can call Phil anytime you need any any help with it. He'll be there. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so uh, moving on. This is the this is like a bit of a new segment that I'm going to start interjecting into some of my episodes. Interjecting, injecting into some of my episodes which is a bit of a, what do you think about? And then the following topics, and then we end up with a thumbs up and thumbs down. So in the, what do you think about? So I just recently read that um, BMW clubs or one BMW club in particular is banning the latest gen of members with cars that have driving and safety aids from their HPDE events like collision mitigation. And so that's now since formally been responded to by BMW of North America saying, all of their collision avoidance and mitigation systems can be turned off through the iDrive system, but the default setting is in the on position if you've shut the car off and turned it back on. As someone who has done, you know, enough time, um, you know, at a racetrack and understanding the dynamics of racing, what do you think about that? Because we're only going to see more and more cars with this on a regular basis. Do you think that they should be? Uh, do you think that they should be banned? Um, or do you think that's just a Band-Aid solution for now until we figure something else out that is a more sophisticated way of regulating it? No, I, I, I think it's a bit of a knee-jerk response. Um, like, I, I understand the rush now, but imagine if you were the owner of like a brand for a brand new uh, BMW M4 and you wanted to track it, and that would be soul-crushing, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the fact that BMW's come out and said that you can turn off these driver aids, I, I can't imagine why not. And I know you mentioned before that um, there is the risk of you know the driver in in the heat of the moment going and forgetting about like forget to turn off. Mm-hmm. But I just don't feel like that's <laughs> like I, I was having a conversation like this with my friend Val. Um, and we were talking about uh, how ABS tends to act in strange ways when you enter a spin in a track car. Like, it, like it, the car tends to not really uh, respond to your braking inputs the way you'd like it to in that situation. But in most smart cars, there's zero way to disable ABS. Mm-hmm. I remember my friend uh, Graham tried to disable ABS in his uh, GTI, and it, it caught power steering. Oh man! So really? I think I think this caveat is going to become more and more apparent as long as manufacturers do their best to address it. Mm-hmm. We, because essentially what you're saying is that old cars only, and then what happens when the old cars are gone? Well, that's the thing, right? You, and you know, tracks and the business of running tracks, especially when they make money on track days, like the way that you know a lot of them have to. There's no way of getting around it, and it is, I, I think, like you said, a knee-jerk reaction to this technology that is inevitable, and it is going to be in more and more of the cars that are coming out. I think the big question is going to be, how do uh, manufacturers respond to this at the manufacturer level when they very rarely, if ever, endorse any type of track uh, engagement or activity in their vehicles, even though they build these cars that have 300, 400, 600, 1,000 horsepower. And they're saying, you know, but if you go on the track and you get in an accident, um, or we're, you know, we have you know, zero responsibility for this. If they were to say, oh, right, yeah, you know, when you're at the track, there's, there's your 
track mode button as you always have had. Uh, but if you press it, we can't really cover you for anything that happens after that. And you're going, well, I don't know if a track mode button, because I mean, some of the exotics, obviously you can turn it completely off and all, of, you know, uh, all of the electronic nannies are gone. I think it's that like kind of middle range, I guess say middle range, uh, far out of my range still, but some of the more advanced road going cars that do have all of these things for people who are daily driving them, not exotics, you know, not hypercars, not supercars. Those are the cars that are going to come into question more and more often. I think that's why BMW is seeing it now. You're going to see it in all other manufacturers. If they don't come out with formal statements that allow people to go out and do those things and that let the enthusiast clubs kind of regulate it themselves, I think they're going to find themselves up against a very vocal group of enthusiasts who are going to demand something be done on a bit, on a bit bigger of a scale. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I don't know the answer to the question. But I would say that if BMW is smart, that they'll continue to take their position on a regular basis and even go out and do a bit more of education with all of the driving groups or sorry, the, the enthusiast groups within their communities um, that start to instill some sort of, you know, uh, like, you know, pre-flight check, like we were talking about before for a, a pilot that is just becomes automatic for them. You turn on the car, you immediately go to turn off, turn off, turn off. And then anybody running any of the track days immediately knows in all of these cars, they have some sort of product knowledge and product education to be able to go into them, look immediately and go indicator light on, indicator light on, indicator light on. That means all of the driver aids that are dangerous on the track are now off. Great. Off you go. Have fun. Um, and I think in, until they get involved to a point or to an extent like that, um, you know, this is going to be something that will probably cause a few accidents in the future of somebody forgetting to do this. Um, and I just, I hope, you know, fingers crossed, nothing bad happens to anyone, but it's an interesting issue and a bit of an interesting problem. I think uh, if you want to get depressing for a moment, I think where this really sucks is that not for cars like a BMW M4, because BMW can't deny that that car is built for track use. Same with cars like the, you know, Mustang GT350, uh, the Focus RS mm -hmm. has a track mm -hmm. section in the owner's manual. Right. Like there are cars that are out there that are made for track use. Yeah. Um, and I think if those manufacturers are smart and, you know, their car manufacturers, they usually are, they're going to build these so that they can be, they have all these systems that can be fully turned off for track use. I think where things kind of suck is that when you're, you know, a 18 year old growing up in 10 years from now, and you want to take like some beer to the track and that, you know, your, that Chevy Cruze isn't going to have a button to turn off all like safety features. What are you going to do? So I kind of foresee HPDE days and track days in general in the future becoming more and more focused on track-focused cars, which is going to push track days out of the financial comfort zone of a lot of people. That's which, a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Which, which sucks because we kind of all grew up taking our moms like EG Civic to the track yeah, of course. And, and not even thinking twice about it, right? Wow, yeah. You know what? That's That's a really interesting perspective on it. I never thought about it that way is that... You're right. As this, as these cars start to age, and you get your, you know, Chevy Cruze, that has lane departure warning and blind spot blind spot warning, and you know, front end collision mitigation, as standard features, which it will, it absolutely will. If it doesn't already, actually, not as standard, but as an option, 
yet turning that off is not going to be so easy or so, um, I guess, easily or as detectable to somebody who's at the track and kind of like looking for these things. So it does, it kind of pulls it away from the world of, or the realm of accessibility, which I think would be a really unfortunate thing. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see what BMW's continuing response is to that as well. Um, so in that kind of same vein, um, very often recurring topic over the last um, couple of episodes is um, autonomy and autonomous driving uh, without going super deep into it, which I know we probably could both do for a very long time. In your opinion, the good, the bad, maybe the ugly, um, what are your kind of, what are your initial thoughts on uh, autonomy and autonomous driving, what it's going to do for us as drivers, us as enthusiasts, and I mean, generally the, the, the population that needs transportation solutions. And cut into episode 25, that's another hour <laughs> of conversation. <laughs> I, it, it's such a difficult topic of conversation because as a mobility solution, it makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. And when you go to New York, when you go to the, the trial show, that's all they're talking about right now because you know 98% of people don't care about you know, driving the field. They just want to get to work. That's right. And we can't knock those people. Like, yeah, they're <laughs> right. The, you know, vehicles are an appliance to them. Yeah. And this is going to make things safer. It's going to make things more affordable. Um, you know, it's going to introduce like ride sharing policies and a whole bunch of other avenues that are just going to make life better for 98% of people. Yeah. But then I think about, you know, the way we grew up and things like Trump car and what's going to happen when there are no longer any cheap like beaters that you can you can build right um so yeah i think you can't really are you against autonomous cars from like a, a logic point of view but i worry about the future of motorsports in that regard yeah i am we we definitely share the same concerns then yeah. i i'm right there with you i am all for the idea of commercial fleets being completely autonomous, um, you know, transport trucks, dedicated lanes for transport trucks that are driverless, um, eliminating, you know, sleepy or potentially distracted drivers from the roadways, um, people that normally would be out driving professionally that maybe not are all that qualified. Um, I would look at things like Uber, I think is a great example for um, a case for autonomous driving to be um, more prevalent. And if it were to take away, I mean, I love, I love the model. I love what Uber X has done. I love the sharing economy, the ideas of all of that. But I think that is also a short-term solution for what I think is inevitable. And in particular for Uber and Uber X, that model makes a ton of sense. Convert their entire fleet into autonomous driving vehicles eliminate the not the i mean most of the the drivers are again like i said caveat love the service i use it i'm a you know a pretty heavy and frequent user of the service but i know that the drivers are not professional drivers and when you know there's something about that that every day becomes more and more significant in my mind uh in terms of what i'm doing and what risks i'm putting myself at when there are all of these incredibly underqualified professional drivers driving unpiloting all of us around in the backs of their cars 
and then you get into a cab and I mean there's arguable differences that they are professional drivers and they've done it and they do it for a living and they're more experienced they've had more seat time seat time to me is what converts over into experience sometimes that's good or bad depending on the habits you've learned now eliminate all of that put in autonomous cars that are known for very few if any collisions or accidents um, make it completely autonomous um, allow us to decide as consumers whether or not we want a vehicle to show up to our door in two minutes and pay a premium for it because it's an autonomous car it's available in my neighborhood or pay a little bit less and the car shows up in 10 minutes because it's just kind of based on availability and demand so it's kind of like surge pricing forever um, and if those cars show up without anybody in them it's already playing the music that I like it's already you know the temperature that I like all of those things I mean that's pretty pretentious but um, <laughs> you know you can see where it kind of goes uh, is that then the entertainment that I want is also available in that you know transportation device now I like it from that perspective I think you're completely right and I think that the idea of motorsport and the heritage of motorsport is definitely being threatened by autonomous driving and we will need to retreat to what is like the you know the golf course mentality or country club mentality of driving only in these places that we do those facilities are already there and they, i think they have an opportunity to develop into something maybe a bit more special um they won't be as grassroots that's for sure uh, and i think it will also limit accessibility just both by availability of cars and the price to that you're going to have to pay to go and drive a car in a weekend. It's like, I'm going to go play 18 holes of golf. Well, instead I'm going to go and drive all day on Saturday. It's going to be a fortune for us to go and do that. But who knows? Who knows? Speculation. We can only leave it at that. <laughs> um, okay. So, I mean, I don't think there's a lot to talk about with it, but in the autonomous car world, there was that news of Tesla starting to introduce or wanting to introduce the, the plans for their pickup truck and their semi trucks, the, the pickup truck images. I don't know if you saw them. Have you seen those? I have. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, it's, it's their, you know, model three with a pickup truck on the back of it. Like it's, it looks like a pretty rudimentary <laughs> I mean, it's pretty polished, but it looks like a pretty rudimentary drawing or sorry, uh, rendering. Tesla um, definitely has like their design language. Very, yeah, very they, defined. Yeah they, yeah, they, they certainly do. I mean, I understand in North America why they would introduce a pickup truck yeah. there. It's just such a massive market, uh, in Canada as well. But, um, interested to see where that goes. There will, definitely be a lot of naysayers in the truck market i remember working on the nissan titan launch in canada and we were launching the truck one of the first big events that we went to was out at the west edmonton mall we had all of the titans set up in this really aggressive display in the middle of the mall i don't think anyone in edmonton had ever seen a nissan pickup truck before other than the frontier of course uh and the guys and i say guys because they were guys predominantly we're walking around the trucks, but keeping about a 20 foot distance, trying to check everything out, trying to look underneath it, inspecting what it was, but wouldn't get any closer as if they were going to catch some, you know, fatal disease from it. <laughs> it was fucking hilarious. So I can only imagine what an electric truck made by Tesla that only has a range of, you know, 200 kilometers and, um, I mean, I guess they probably have pretty decent towing capacity, but the battery life would suffer pretty heavily from that right. too. Um, that was Tesla. 
you guys went to the Detroit Auto Show. I mean, that's some time ago now, but were there any highlights um, for you there that have really that really stuck out in your mind? Well, I was going to say, um, last year at Detroit, when Honda released, released the Honda Edge line, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, right. uh, you know, for, uh, for their engine option or V6, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you got to have a front-wheel front drive or all-wheel drive. Uh, then following that, like every article I read was like, oh, like this is the perfect truck. It kind of drives like a car and it's got all the towing capacity you probably uh, need. And I haven't seen one in real life yet because it, like the, the going joke out of like is uh, pickup truck buyers never buy the trucks that they need. Right. <laughs> they care about whether or not they can get bigger and they care about how much financing they can, they can get. Yeah. And, and that's really about it. You know, yeah. um, like pickup trucks are emotional purchase they're not usually utilitarian purchase mm-hmm. so i feel like tesla's going to have a lot of fight in that market um because you can't get a truck buyer to buy a, t- a truck without a v8 never mind you know an electric truck right yeah that's yeah. a really good point yeah it's got a v6 and no thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that way you can put like a single bale of hay in the back and drive it you know to to toronto and back right yeah that's interesting um i mean for any manufacturer to even take, let's call it 10% of the truck market is a massive, massive endeavor, but also a wildly lucrative one. Um, because if they, if I say they, if Tesla is able to build a truck the way that the domestics do, um, there's a lot of profit in those units. And I mean, that shows when that you, when you look at how heavily financed they are as well, and some of the incentives that go into the you know manufacturing of that type of deal um, and then also the aftermarket and the service uh, for for all of them. That's really where a lot of the money is to be had. So who knows how that's all going to roll out. It's like every time Elon introduces or announces a new product, I'm like, God, there's no way this is going to happen. <laughs> and um, model, oh my God, why am I drawing a blank here? The Gullwing door, that's model. Model X? That's model S, right. sorry. Model S for me was a, was from a design standpoint, a failure because I really just, I it just kinda, cannot get, get used to it. It kind of looks like they took the model S and then just kind of like pulled it upward. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's yeah, like it's, the, it's the strange, gesture yeah. based CAD rendering. That yeah. Just pulled it. <laughs> I, I like, I like all the thought and the thoughtfulness that goes into it. It's just, that was not for me. Model three, I think is great. Right. Um, and I like, I like what it's, what it's doing so far. Um, I I love what that guy's up to. There's just, just yeah, no. always full of surprises. I'm waiting for like the other shoe to drop, on when all of a sudden there's this crazy scandal around Elon, and everything about Tesla just takes right. a huge you know a huge nosedive because everything in that company is entirely uh, revolving around him. And if one one ill thing happens to him, and you know, God forbid, I would never want that. But the, you know that's the company's reputation, and I think it'd be really hard for them to recover from something if, um, you know, a major product mishap or some other wild circumstance happened. Um, I don't think that Elon, I'm sorry, I don't think Tesla would be able to recover from, uh, you know, the the bad Elon press. Yeah, no, it's 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 funny because when you look into Tesla from a financial point of view, um, they're a mess. Like they they. I, everyone knows this. They they burn cash like you know, GM in the, the early two thousands, right? <laughs> um, but somehow they've managed to keep it going, mm-hmm. kind of around. I want to say hype, 
but that feels a bit too cruel. I mean, no, there is a lot. It's a marketing machine. Yeah. But it's a, it's a marketing machine that revolves around his, you know, cra- I, I say wild or crazy schemes, but he delivers on them too. Yeah, and, and I think it's a marketing machine that kind of also revolves around the promise that one day there will be a profitable Tesla, presumably mm-hmm. the Model 3, mm-hmm. uh, in 2020 or, or, you know, whenever. Right. And one day they will become a profitable company, right? And up till then, like, there's just been, like, this, you know, constant, like, media fare behind Tesla keeping it alive. Right. Um, I mean, it's kind of like all of us building project cars. It's like a huge money pit. We just keep dumping it in. Like, (laughs) someday it's going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, I, I, I feel very tempted to, like, to knock Elon because his goals at times can just seem, like, inconceivable. Um like trying to bring an electric pickup truck into the market when they don't even have the right fact, like the factory built for the, for the model three yet. Mm-hmm. But every time people seem to criticize him, he seems to bounce back and make it happen. So yeah. You know, and he responds to them in like five minutes with a tweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, say five to 10 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, his investments in um, solar, in solar city, and now that, um, God, what is it? The Giga Factory yeah. for, you know, it's all of the world's lithium ion battery production rolled into literally his one factory in terms of capacity. That's staggering. Um, that that may be the market. Energy in general, I think, is his, his way in. Yeah. Um, you're even starting to see him suggest that he's going to provide solutions for the off-peak uh, natural gas stations that are in place that are literally only producing enough power. Sorry, uh, no, on peak, not off peak. Uh, they're only producing power in during on peak times in major markets that um, are supplying whatever the excess demand is. He's saying that his major, um, his uh, uh, battery, so all of the battery power that he's able to store he's going to be able to redirect during those periods to be able to supply and cut off all this natural gas production that is dangerous and heavily polluting and really expensive and all of these things that are happening where that's where I start to see, um, you know, the, the, uh, the vehicle side slowly start to fade away. And for me, the light is being shone on his future just as an energy provider and Tesla will be the energy provider that once was a car manufacturer. Mark my words. <laughs> no, I, I, I do think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think the writing is, is, um, is on the wall and he's got the technology behind him and like, God, he's crazy. Like SpaceX and everything that he's invested in. Super impressive. And he's the modern day Iron Man. Um, okay. So, uh, lastly, we're going to do thumbs up and thumbs down, um, for what you know about them. This is from New York auto show, which has obviously just happened. Uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk Edition. Uh, thumbs down, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm go thumbs up just because I love the idea of something that's so obnoxious just to be built for the sake of it. Honestly, I don't know if I have much of an opinion. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's just a weird vehicle to me, you know? It, yeah, it totally yeah. is. It absolutely is. Um, there's, there's so much wrong about it, but so much right about it in such a weird way. Um, okay, uh, Hyundai's entire Genesis brand. So the new 
luxury Korean brand that they've reinvented will be all on their own. And uh, you don't even go to a Hyundai dealership to buy these cars. Um, thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I think it's going to go far and I wish them the best of luck with that brand. Yeah. I, I spent a bunch of time in their cars at uh, Detroit and I, I definitely understand what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, they've, <laughs> they've certainly come a long way. Um, I got to sit in and drive one of the Genesis um, sedans and was I kind of caught myself going, God, am I really, I'm really saying that this is great? And that shouldn't be the word that I use to describe <laughs> these um, inherently from everything that's been kind of ingrained in me growing up is that, you know, the Hyundai brand wasn't always, you know, the most well-known brand for quality. And they kept on stepping it up and stepping it up and stepping it up and kind of debunking these myths of them not having great quality and supporting it with great warranties. And now they've got this luxury car that, I, you know, and this is pre- the previous generation too that I was really impressed by. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a wild. It, they are wild machines. I I'm really curious to see how far they um they create their kind of like breadth in in lineup too. Fun fact: the uh, in the back seat of the Genesis, I think it's the G80. You can move the passenger front seat back or backwards or forwards. <laughs> so if you want more. That's awesome. If you want more legroom, you can just move the front seat passenger <clears throat> forwards. I love it. Yeah. Um, the Dodge Demon. I'm. I'm. Ah, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I'm gonna say thumbs down. Thumbs down. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask. I have to ask. Thumbs down because. Okay. I kind of come from a drag racing family. Um, my cousin Mike, he's got like it currently makes 800 horsepower at the wheels. Uh, EG Civic Hatch. No, it weighs like twenty one hundred pounds. Wow. Yeah, and like when, I, you, I, when you said racing, drag racing family, eight hundred horsepower at the wheels. I was not expecting. Yeah, the like, next phrase out of your mouth to be it's an EG Civic. Yeah, like imagine like a fifteen inch like front drag yeah. radio. You know, yeah. like it run like yeah, he, he actually hasn't got to the track uh, on this setup, but it's probably gonna run like nines easily. Wow. Um, yeah, so like I get drag racing. Mm-hmm. So the way I've always kind of like thought of drag racing is that it's a mechanic sport, right? Track days, you know, you show up in a Porsche Cup car or you show up in a Miata, you guys come out at the same time. It's about, you know, it's about driver mod, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, shameless plug there. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, but drag racing, yeah, like it's, it's about what you can build, you know? So I don't really get who's going to buy the D. De- I I mean, other than collectors, because they're going to buy the Demon. Yeah. I don't really, gonna, I don't really get who's going to buy the Demon. Yeah, because if you show up to a to a to a drag race day and you run a nine second quarter mile, what are you proving? <laughs> like I, I I understand that it does take some you know finesse to launch it right, but it just it doesn't see it doesn't make sense to me you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you want to buy it as a platform car, because obviously the Dodge Demon would be a great platform to run like seven second quarter miles, you're gonna immediately void the warranty. So what's the point of? Also right. Yeah. So what's the point of buying a factory, you know, drag car, right? Right. I, it, it's interesting. That's a good point. Um, hey, you've made a lot of these tonight. Um, <laughs> the I like it for the statement that they're making as a manufacturer more than anything, which I think is to a certain extent um, just a not just, but it's a it's a PR story for them to say we're committed to. We're committed to motorsport. We're committed to building, evolving, and power. 
and for the I don't even know what the numbers are that they said that they were going to produce of these things, but they're just going to be collectors. They're, yeah, they're just going to be like the first one across the block at uh, Barrett Jackson is going to go for an obscene amount of money, and it's going to sit away in someone's private collection forever. Um, but I think that uh, coming from kind of the marketing and advertising side of it, that car is being built and. The reason it is what it is, it's almost like it's almost like the equivalent of homologation to me is that they built that car and whatever, however many hundreds or fewer than hundreds they're going to produce of them to the general public. It was not for the sake of them building those cars to sell those cars and to make money on those cars. It's so that anybody who's buying a, a Charger or a Challenger that's literally as base as you could possibly get. It still gives them a bit of that kind of aspirational pleasure that their car, their car, air quotes, uh, is actually the same as that Dodge Demon that just you know came out, um, and it helps them sell the hundreds of thousands of units they have in their base model cars that people buy and have some sort of connection with emotionally that they feel like it's capable of so much more and they really would aspire to have a Hellcat or a Demon, but instead they're going to, you know, they're, they're happy with their V6 and that to them is still, um, it, to a certain extent, I guess they're, I don't know, it's like their peace of mind. It's their, they found their happiness in buying that car. And I can relate to that. You know, you don't want to have to spend that. You also probably can't afford to spend the $100,000 that that car is going to be. Um, but I think that there is a far, I guess, uh, further reaching goal of that car for the brand and for that platform than just the you know units they're going to sell out of it. That's my take on it from like their you know marketing perspective, at least. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's also kind of what bugs, bugs me about this car because like it's been so like, like the release has been so dragged out and it's been dragged out for marketing, marketing purposes. Yeah, it has and, been. And the things that they've kind of hinted at throughout the whole, you know, uh, road to the release or things like oh you can turn off air conditioning to make the car run cooler that's right you know you can reroute the air conditioning so you can run colder air in through the forced induction yeah or you or it comes with a, a production uh, production car drag radio you know um and like when i when i hear things like that i'm like that's not progress like when you when you buy a hellcat challenger the first thing you're probably going to do is you know ditch the 275 off-season tire and put a drag radio on it right yeah, yeah. um and ford release ford and chevrolet both both release uh kobo you know drag cars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for that reason right and it just kind of seems like this like marketing game you know it yeah although like as i speak these words i almost like hate myself already because <laughs> what they've built is they've built a street friendly 800 horsepower car and to tune a big v8 for 800 horsepower and have it like be happy to idle a red light and drive around town day, it is impressive. Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna, you're, you're not gonna be sitting there concerned about overheating because the car is like literally made for well, not made for it. It's capable of daily driving. Yeah, you're, you're not gonna see my my cousin Civic going going to the grocery store. Really, yeah, <laughs> and it's being built in Brampton, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So I mean, we've got two crazy cars that are all within let's call it a 50 to 100 kilometer radius of us right now being built with the Ford GT at Multimatic in Markham and now the Dodge Demon in Brampton. That's Those are two pretty 
great things to be able to hang our hats on as Canadians. Although both of them, I mean, for a guy who's not really super into domestics, I love that that's what's happening here. And I think that what we're doing in Canada, there aren't enough people talking about. So I'd love to have that more of that. Um, and uh, to that effect, I'm going to end it here for episode 24 with Phil from drivermod.ca. Uh, I hope that you check out everything that he's got going on on Drivermod. Um, keep following him for new and interesting stories like we were talking about before, debunking some of the things that a lot of people often think about the automotive industry. You guys are doing a really good job of that. Um, and I, I hope you keep it up. Um, where else can we find you? I believe you've got a really great Facebook page as well, which is just DriverMod. Uh, yeah, I think it's like facebook.com slash drivermod.ca. Right. Is there anywhere else that you want people to find you? Um, Instagram, if you really feel so inclined. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And, and on Instagram, it's, it's, um, just, it's Instagram is just DriverMod. Uh, DriverMod underscore CA, I believe. Yeah. DriverMod underscore CA. Yeah. <laughs> just cool. <laughs> get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, um, Phil, thank you so much for being on. Like I said, I think the next time I have you on, we're going to do a $15,000 used car challenge and it will not, and we're going to put a, a we're going to put a handicap on you that doesn't allow you to pick Miatas because <laughs> I know you know them way too damn well. Um, and, uh, and we'll go, uh, we'll go toe to toe in a $15,000 used car challenge. But until then, uh, like I said, this has been episode 24 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Shout Engine, and on Instagram. If you have any comments, leave them for me on all of the episode releases on Instagram. I'll get to you or direct message me. Uh, let me know if there's anything you want to see or hear coming up, and I'd be happy to oblige. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for episode 25 coming up next week. Take care. Thanks, guys.